Well, good morning, church. Anybody tired of that video yet? Anybody tired about missions? And anybody tired about me asking you to turn in your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28? <laughs> One more week. One more week. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, it's good to see your faces. Uh, there's one thing that, um, as I was worshiping, I saw Laura Kiggins just raising her arms, worshiping the Lord. Um, as you know, Laura's been fighting cancer, uh, just as, as Steve Hamilton has. And what a testimony that lasts the ages when people are going through something, fighting cancer, and they are still praising the Lord because He is still good, even in the midst of cancer. And so praise God for those, Laura and Steve, and everybody else too, and anybody else you might know, just, just, just be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in their life and encourage them and pray for them. Let them know that they're deeply, deeply loved by the Father. So Matthew 28. Uh, we've been in this series, this, this uh, Missions Month series all this month, and we'll, we'll finish it. We'll finally close it out next week where we have been talking about what does it mean for us as the church of Jesus Christ to go out and make disciples of all nations. And in week one, we talked about what does it mean for us to go, to be sent out. And last week, we kind of emphasized what does it mean for us to make disciples. And today, we're going to talk about what it means to make disciples of all the nations. What does Jesus mean when He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations? And, and Jesus Himself is inviting us in on the greatest story being told in the history of all history. We get to be a part of that story. And so he tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. And so another thing I've been doing, maybe you're getting tired of, is I've been um, reminding you, uh, we're, we're trying to memorize just a few verses together in Matthew 28. And, and parents, I've encouraged you to teach your kids to memorize verse 19. And so, again, like I said, uh, I'm being gracious to you. I'm going to keep the scriptures on the screen for you. But if you have memorized or you're working on memorizing them, try to recite these verses without seeing them, because next week they will not be on the screen. I will not be as gracious to you. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, we're going to do this together out loud if you feel comfortable, but we're going to start in Matthew uh, 28, verse 18. Here we go. And Jesus says, And Jesus came to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Guys, I am not perfect myself. I'm working on memorizing it as well, just like all of you. Well, great. So, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Since I became a Christian, this idea of missions has been on my heart. Even since the very beginning of my Christian life, even before I knew what it meant to be a missionary, even before I thought I would ever be a preacher or a pastor or a minister or any of those things, this idea of missions was on my heart. And so I had become a Christian, and, and a few months into that, uh, my new Christian life, I, I felt such a deep desire to go travel the world and, and tell people about Jesus. And, and so I took this class where I learned more about my church at the time, and, and uh, I, I got a call from a pastor there just following up, you know, wanting to ask me how it went and, and what I thought and things of that nature. And I wasn't able to take that call because I had just gotten out of surgery and I had my wisdom teeth pulled. And so my face swelled up very big. I, I, my, my mom is so amazing. I stayed on her couch for three straight days. Just She served me. It was amazing. I love my mom. But that's what I looked like for like the first almost two days. And so I couldn't talk. 
I wasn't taking phone calls. I certainly wasn't returning phone calls. But what I did was, and mind you, I was on ibuprofen or uh, painkillers of some sort because I was in a lot of pain. So let me just preface this email by saying I wasn't in my full right mind, if you will. So in my effort to reply to that phone call that the pastor had called me, this was my reply via email. Hey, Kayla, so sorry I didn't call you. This was five short years ago. I had gone through school. I should have known better. Hey, Kayla, so sorry I didn't call you back on Wednesday. I'm usually good about that. Around the time you called me, I was in surgery. I had my wisdom teeth taken out, which involved lots of pain meds after, and it numbed half my face and swelled up, and it was very uncomfortable. Having said all that, I was in some pain, and now I talk like I might as well have like a headgear on or something. Being 28 and going through the orthodontic treatment all over again, 13 years later, well, quite amusing at times. Other times, it is not. Ha ha. If only I would have worn my retainer. Oh well. My point is, all I wanted to do was get home, pop pain pills, and lay on the couch. As far as an email goes, no reason why I couldn't have got back to you sooner. I do apologize. A big question I have is about serving. Now I know it's still early on, and I feel like I'm just getting started on my new path in life, but I'm curious about getting involved in missions. It might be a little ambitious of me to think that I can just become a missions pastor or someone who travels the world to preach the gospel, but I feel like maybe there's something there for me down the road. I feel like what better way than to travel the world as part of the church and help bring others to know Jesus as I am beginning to as well. Anyways, like I said, it's a bit ambitious, and these are only thoughts and ideas thus far. Thus far? Please get back with me at your earliest convenience and let me know what you think of all this. Nate. So that's a strange email I wrote to the pastor, which I imagine that she took that email and shared it with another pastor, and maybe they shared it with another pastor, and they probably had some good laughs about my good English there. But, but here's Kayla's response, and this is what matters. I kept saying, you know, is it a bit ambitious of me to, to want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And she says, in all capital letters, it is not ambitious at all. That's all I needed to hear. That was all the encouragement I needed. I knew the desires of my heart were from the Lord, despite whether or not I knew preacher, pastor, missions, any of that. It didn't matter. God gives us that desire to want people all across the world to know the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And so may I just say, church, here at Hillcrest, that there is nothing ambitious about us as a church here in McKinney, Texas, being involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's nothing ambitious about that at all. This has been the overarching design of our God since the very beginning of time to reach the nations of the earth with the gospel. In fact, the God of the scriptures, the, the God of this Bible is a God of the nations. He's not, he's not the God of America. He's not the God of one country. He's the God of all nations. And so it's our obligation it is our duty. We have been mandated. We have been commissioned as the church to obey Jesus by making disciples of all nations. And so it's not at all, even at the slightest, ambitious of us to work towards that end, to give towards that end, and to pray towards that end for the purpose that all people in all the nations hear the good news about Jesus. That's why missions exist, because the worship of God does not. Because the worship of God does not. So missions exist. So don't just quickly dismiss this idea that you know, we as a church here at Hillcrest in McKinney, Texas, 
We can't be involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're just one church. There's bigger churches out there. Let them be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. They have more money. They have more resources. And that's not the way we think. Our God is a God of the impossible. And His Word says, with God, nothing is impossible. And we as the church here in this building are commanded by our Savior and Lord and God to make disciples of all the nations. What does Jesus mean when He says that? All the nations. Well, He's not talking about geopolitical entities like there's like 200 or more uh, actual nations in our world. No, the Greek translation here, when Jesus says all nations, is pantatal ethne. Pantatal ethne. Go out and make disciples of pantatal ethne. That's every ethnic people group on the earth. That's every tribe. It can be as small as a, as a household family. That's every native tongue, every dialect, every different language, all the families of the entire earth, every people, tribe, tongue, and nation, language, every ethnic group, pontital ethne. This is not America and Canada and Mexico. This is every ethnic group of people in the entire world, pontital ethne, all the nations in the world. This has been the design of our God since the very beginning to reach every ethnic people group of the earth. Genesis 12, God called Abram. You remember that story. Look what he says. Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is tribes. These are clans. These are families. These are ethnic groups. The language is relatively the exact same. The language here is every ethnic group of the world. Every people group on the entire planet. Every tribe, tongue, nation shall be blessed. Through Abraham, the Lord says. Now this is an amazing promise, no doubt, but this promise would actually come into fruition, not necessarily through the life of Abraham, but through one who would come through the genealogy, the line through Abraham, and that being Jesus. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then you go down to verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That's the genealogy of the Son of God. He comes through the line of Abraham. And so when, when the Lord speaks to Abraham, says, I will bless all the families of the earth through you, he's talking about Jesus. There would one day come a sovereign king and Lord over all the universe, who all the peoples will be blessed through him. And so since the very beginning, it has been the ultimate plan and the supreme goal of the Creator God to reconcile all people from every ethnic group of the entire earth through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection. A way to salvation has been made through Christ. Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so when Jesus says here in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, here's what he means. And a pastor that I admire said this. He says, God has created us. He has crafted us. He has saved us, blessed us, ultimately for the spread of His glory in the world. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Look in the Psalms. Look at the, the language that's used from other people about God and His desire to reconcile all the nations, all the ethnic people groups of the world. Psalm 22, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, 
and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. Psalm 96, verse 3, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us, and bless us, and make His face shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So it's beyond clear. All throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God wants His name to be praised among all nations. Pontata ethne. Every ethnic people group of the entire planet, the Bible says, will praise the Lord. All nations, the Bible says. This is what Scripture teaches. All nations will rejoice in the Lord. And anyone, I would say, in this room or across the country, if they think that America is the epicenter of all of Christianity, then you would be thoroughly disappointed to hear that it is not. The fastest growing church in the world today, right now as we sit in this room, is the church in Iran. And guess how it's spreading? Through women. Women in Iran are making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples and, making, and they're just multiplying. The fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran, one of the most persecuted areas in the world to Christians. And it's happening through women. So be encouraged, women. God is using women to change the world for Christ. Not only that, but you know, in these Muslim countries, oftentimes they'll have dreams about Jesus. And that's how they come to faith. They will literally have dreams and visions about Jesus. And they can't deny that He is the sovereign God of the universe. And that their faith has been wrong through visions and dreams. And that's how people are coming to faith in Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. One of the other fastest growing churches in the world, as we sit in this room, is in China. These are, they're known as underground churches because they're so heavily persecuted, they can't meet in a building like you and I can. They don't have that freedom. They are taken to jail. They are beaten, brutally beaten, just like you see in the book of Acts. They are killed for their faith. Yet they're the fastest growing church in America because people in Iran and in China are hungry for Jesus. They have come to realize that He is the only hope in the world. And they will die if that means worshiping Him. So Iran and China, and then many people believe here in the very near future that the epicenter of all Christianity will be in Africa. If it's not already that way. Disciples are being made, church, today. People are making disciples and making disciples and they're multiplying all across the world and some of the most heavily persecuted areas in the world. They are the fastest growing churches. People are hungry for God. All the more reason to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in these countries because they're being persecuted. They're hated for their faith. They lose their lives. And many have come to realize that Jesus is the only hope for humanity. And they'll do anything to worship Him, even if it means they lose their lives. So the global church of Jesus Christ is growing. That's certain. That's clear. But there's still much to be done. Let me just give you some stats here. Now when I talk about Pantatal Ethne, all the different ethnic groups in the entire world, this is not countries like America and Canada. This is, there's 17,000, just over 17,000 ethnic people groups in the world today. 7,406 are considered to be unreached. Now what does unreached mean? It means that they have literally no idea that Jesus exists. They have no Scripture in their language. Now, there are also 
unengaged peoples, which maybe they've been engaged with the gospel, but there's no church in their community, and disciples aren't being made, and they probably also don't have Scripture in their language. And so over 17,000 people groups in the world, over 7,000 are unreached or unengaged with the gospel. Here's two countries, just to give you an example, just to give you an idea. In in India, there is over 1.3 billion people that live in India, making up 2,700 different ethnic people groups throughout that entire country. 1.3 billion are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 95.6% of that country is unreached with the gospel. Unreached with the gospel. Or unengaged. Only 2% of that entire country is Christian. Now go to Nepal. Nepal's a much smaller country. They have 29 million people in that country and over 26 million people are unreached or unengaged with the gospel. There's 285 ethnic people groups in the country of Nepal. 275 of them are unreached peoples. They don't know who Jesus is. They've never heard. They don't know the gospel. One of my favorite pastors. He's a pastor up in Washington, D.C., and he wrote this book called Something Needs to Change, and it's a great book, and I would encourage you to read it, but in this book, he talks about, well, there's two stories. They're on this trek in the Himalayan mountains. They literally have to take a helicopter to get where they are. It's one of the most far corners of the earth. Hardly anybody can get there, but there is people, thousands and thousands of people who live in those villages, and he was telling a story of how he went up to a guy and asked him, you know, started talking about Jesus, and, and he thought he was talking about a guy from another village, a nearby village. He had no earthly idea who Jesus was. The gospel, completely unheard of to him. There's another story he tells in this book. And let me ask you a question before I tell you the story. How much is the human life worth? $20? Maybe 40 Human life worth 40 How about 60 $60? No. What about 80 How about $100? Is the human life worth $100? And these villages, men from Kathmandu, which is the capital of Nepal, they will come to these villages, these unreached villages. People are living on way less than a dollar a day to support their whole families. And they will come to these villages, and what they'll do is they'll give their families $100 in exchange for their 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 12, 13-year-old daughter. And, and what happens is they'll say, hey, you know, let me give you this $100, and then in exchange you give us your daughter, we'll take them into Kathmandu, and, and we'll... We'll give them a job and provide them a place to live. And what they can do is they can get a really good job in this big city, this capital city, and they can send money back to you. And that way you're financially supported and you can have a better life. And, and uh, obviously that's not the promise that they're going to keep because what happens is for this, this $100, which is, changes the, the whole trajectory of their lives, $100, they take their daughter never to be seen again, not just in Kathmandu, all over the world. They place them in human trafficking. All it takes is $100. Now, is a human life worth $100? No, it's not. But every human life is worth Jesus dying on the cross for. We live in a messed up world. And there is a lot of people who have no hope of the gospel. In fact, there are 7.7 billion people on this planet. 3.2 billion people are unreached or unengaged with the gospel. Unreached or unengaged with the gospel. 41.5% of the population has little to no access of the gospel. Now the primary location of unreached peoples in the world is found in what's called the 1040 window. Now you see that on this 
uh, on the map. That's, that's what's referred to as the 1040 window. That, that comes from its position being 10 and 40 degrees north latitude. This is the most unreached region of the entire globe. It makes up 68 countries, stretching from North Africa through the Middle East and to Asia. Two-thirds of the world's population lives in that 1040 window, comprising of 5 billion people and over 8,700 ethnic people groups. And all of those people have little to mostly no access to the gospel. The gospel which most of us were raised to know. People, church, let me just give you this illustration. So this is one Bible. You see that. It's a common Bible that I use. Here's another Bible. It's all pretty with flowers. That's, that's obviously my wife's. Here's another Bible. That one's mine. This one's pretty blue. That's my wife's. And, and pink, this is my wife's as well. And anyway, so some, this is a Bible. It's actually my great-grandfather's. Great-grandfather's Bible. It's amazing. Little Bible. It's in the King James Version, so I don't read it often. This is a story. It tells a story about Jesus and the Gospel. And this is another Bible. It's, it's a study Bible, so it has a lot of notes to help you understand Scripture. And This is a, a Bible, a book a, a pastor gave me once. And uh, This is the message version of the Bible. And so many different versions, in fact. And this is a, the ESV study Bible. And what it does is it has all kinds of awesome maps. And, and it just helps you understand the Bible better. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a study Bible, to get one. Um, and this is a, a Bible background, so it just gives you the just a better understanding of the Old Testament. This is literally just a book about the, the Gospel of Matthew, so it helps you understand Matthew, just Matthew alone by itself. This is a New Testament Bible. It's only the New Testament. It's to hand out to people who you know, might not be walking with Jesus. And This is a, a commentary on the Old Testament alone, and this is another commentary on the Old and New Testament. It just helps you understand the Bible a lot better. Anyway, these, these are my Bibles. I own those, or my wife. And there's way more in my office. In fact, the list just goes on and on. And and if I go back home, i got a lot of Bibles there too. They're my Bibles. I own those Bibles. If you factor in the people that are living in the same house as me and then the Bibles that they have. And, and so altogether, there's a lot of Bibles. And not only that, there's even more books that tell you what the Bible means. It gives you a better understanding of what God's Word means and what it says. And these are the Bibles that I own. And, and maybe you own a lot of Bibles or maybe you have one. And, and I don't know, but if we were to add up all the Bibles that all of us own in this room, it would probably fill up most of these rows of chairs. Uh, no, I have not read all of them. I've skimmed through some of them. <laughs> these are a lot of Bibles, aren't they? And, and there's more. And, and, and then, then what I have access to on my computer through different Bible softwares. Well, that's just an endless amount of resources. The point is, God's Word is available to me in so many different ways. It's just right there. And, and I can just put those there freely. And I don't have to worry about anybody giving me a hard time about those Bibles. But there are people in the world, church, they don't even have a word. They don't even have a verse of Scripture in their language. They've never heard the Gospel. And the Bible is clear. The eternal destination of those who never believe in Jesus. Well, let me just say, it's not with Jesus. There are billions of people who don't have a word of Scripture in their language. And so the question is, who will go? Who will go and tell them that Jesus is alive? That He defeated death? That He conquered the grave? That His blood was shed on that cross for them? Who will go and tell them? One of the common things that people assume about people who have never heard the Gospel and, and uh, they don't have Scripture in their languages, well, 
if they've never heard of Jesus, then they can't believe in Jesus. If they've never heard of the Gospel, then they can't believe in the Gospel. If that's the way it is, then, then they should be safe, right? They should be good. They're innocent. They would just go to heaven, right? If that's the way you think, you're wrong. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. There is not one innocent person on this planet. This is why there is an urgency for the spread of the Gospel among all nations. Pontita ethne. Because no one is innocent. Everyone stands condemned before a holy God. And it's the Gospel that saves. Some interesting facts real quick about this 1040 window. They call it the resistant belt because many of the world religions actually reside there. Hinduism, Islam, Buddhists. And so in that region, those governments are they're, they're, they're more catering towards that, the economic and social preference to that predominant religion. And so Christianity is heavily opposed with great persecution in that 1040 window. Those are the hardest places in the world to go and to take the Gospel and to be bold and courageous with your faith. Even the poorest of all the poor in the world live in that 1040 window. So now the question becomes, what does all this mean? What do these numbers mean, Nate, and this Bible illustration and, and the money? and What does it all mean? This many people in the world have never heard about Jesus. And you see the same language being used from Genesis to Revelation. God is a missionary God who seeks His glory among all nations. Pontita ethne. So what does it all mean? Well, here's what I can tell you. No matter what is happening in the world, whether there's nation raging against other nations, rumors of wars, a, a worldwide pandemic, self-quarantine, have to wear masks, no matter what's happening in the world, we make disciples of all nations. Nothing should stop us from making disciples of all nations. And so, how can we get involved? Simple. We can care first about our own missionaries that we support. We support six or seven different missionaries from Germany to Turkey to Ireland to Bonham, Texas, EOE, China. We have, we have missionaries that we support financially. We can pray for them. We can give more. We can get involved. You, church, you can email them. Ask for their email address. You can email them yourselves. Introduce yourselves. I'm a member of Hillcrest Christian Church and I know that we support you financially. I just want to get to know you a little better. How can I be praying for you? How can me and my husband be praying for you? How can, how can my family be praying for you? How can, how can my family with spouses and kids get together maybe one night a week and pray for those who are in foreign countries making disciples of all nations, get involved, care about our missionaries. I have a vision for this church, by the way, at Hillcrest to help plant a church or churches where there is currently no church. Where there is currently no gospel being preached. That's my dream. That's my vision. Is that we would be a church who would begin a movement of the gospel and plant a church in some country or some place or some region, some city where there is no church. And I want to encourage you to come alongside me and pray with me regarding that. How can Hillcrest plant a church in another country where there is no church, no gospel is being preached? And I want to invite you to join me on that. And so... I've just given you a couple of stats. There is a website called the Joshua Project. You can go to that website and you can find stat after I mean, endless stats on every country and all the people groups that there are in the world. And you can even look 
and see how you can be praying for them. There's even an app that you can go and you can find on the Joshua Project where you can pray for a different people group, unreached people group, every single day. Just open your phone and go on the app. And you can be praying for people you will never even meet. But if they get saved by the power of the gospel, you will see them in heaven. And you might even get to say, I prayed for you. All I had to do was pull out my phone, my $500 phone, and, and I prayed for you. What an amazing opportunity we have. I want to close with uh, sharing this story. There's a story in the Gospels. Maybe many of you uh, know it. Jesus is out on the water with his disciples. And uh, he does something you know, pretty amazing. He, he, uh, it's storming really bad and the disciples are freaking out. And So Jesus is taking a nap because he's sovereign and has authority over all things. And so he's just snoozing away and they wake him up because they're scared and he goes out there and he calms the storm. And so now the disciples are like, wow, Jesus has authority. Even the wind and waves obey him. But then when they get back to shore, a man comes up to Jesus. And everybody knows about this man. We'll pick up in Mark 5, verse 2. It says this, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even at the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Everybody knew about this man. This man was uh, possessed by demons. Nobody wanted to come near him. Nobody wanted to interact with him. Nobody had the power or the strength to subdue him. In fact, they had him bound once, but then he just broke himself free and he's hanging out in the tombs and he's a very scary man and many people are terrified of him. He's cutting himself with stones and nobody wants anything to do with this man. But even demons come under the authority of Jesus. And so when Jesus gets to the shore, this man possessed by demons goes straight to Jesus. Long story short, Jesus casts all the demons out of this man. He puts them in pigs. They go off a cliff because demons bring death and destruction and nothing more and nothing less. They just want to kill, steal, and destroy. So the pigs go off the cliff. And look what happens. Verse 17, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. This is Jesus. He was getting into the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. This man is restored now. No demons anymore. He's... He's like everybody else. He's fully clothed. He's in his right mind. People are shocked when they see him. He is a different person. He's not the same anymore. He's been clean. He's been cleansed. He's been purified. He's been made new by the power of Jesus. He's restored. He's not the same anymore. He's new. He's different. He's like everybody else. The man possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him. Jesus would not let him go with him. I imagine if I was there with Jesus in the flesh and He had just healed me of something, I would want to go with Him. I would want to be with Him. Everywhere Jesus went, I would want to be there. Every word Jesus spoke, I would want to hear it. This man was no different. He wanted to go with Jesus, but He wouldn't let Him. He wouldn't permit Him. Jesus would not let Him go with Him. But look what He says. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And now he has had mercy on you. And this man, it says, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Disopolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. And everyone marveled. You see, they looked at this man's life, but they marveled at God. 
they looked at this man's life and they marveled at Jesus. They were amazed. There's a man on this earth who can restore people's souls. There's a man on this earth. He's, he's, he lives among us and he can make people and give them a new life. He can recreate life. There's a man on this earth. He, he lives among us. He's in this same region. He restored this man's soul. Jesus has the authority to heal. Jesus has the authority to restore. And the disciples got to see that by Him commanding the winds and waves obey. But then a man possessed with, with demons that nobody else wanted to be around and Jesus looked at him and He cast them all out. They couldn't help but see a difference in this man's life. So they couldn't help but marvel at Jesus because of this man's life. Now let me ask you a very probing question. Can the same be said about you? Can the same be said about me? When people look at us, church, do they marvel at Jesus? When people look at you, after they've interacted with you, after being around you, do they marvel at Jesus? Do they see something different in you? Something that's not of this world? It could only come from God. It could only come from a loving Father who is seated on a throne in glory, yet at the very same time sent His own Son who never sinned to die for the sins of the world. His blood was shed for your sin and mine. And right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. And His Holy Spirit lives in us. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then do people marvel at Jesus because of your life? point is, making disciples of all nations is great. I could preach that all day. But if disciples aren't being made in your circle of influence, then how can we make disciples of all the nations? If we are making disciples in this city, then how can we make disciples of all nations? Do people notice a difference in your life because Christ is in you, the hope of glory? Because if Christ is in you, you will never be the same. So do people look at your life and do they marvel at Savior, the Lord of the universe, the Savior of all the world, Jesus. Do they marvel at Jesus? Do they see Jesus when they look at you? Even as Christians, I, I'm not naive to, to know that life is still hard. And we are all presented with different things. And some of them, we don't even see them coming. They hit us like a freight train. And other times it's just a buildup. We know what's there. We know what's there. We have to flee from that. It, or, or it'll only get worse, but we don't. And, and so it just it finally gets to that point. It's that breaking point. And life is so hard. And, and why does it happen to us? And, and, you know, everybody else seems fine. And then it happens to me. But there's something to be said about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus lives in you. The God of the universe lives in you. Everything is so unfathomable with the universe, yet the one who created it lives in you. There was a moment in your life when he decided, you know what, I'm going to step in. I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to bring restoration, whether they see it coming or not. Christ in you is the hope of glory. No matter what happens in life, believe in the gospel. Jesus is a faithful God, He's a faithful friend, He's a faithful Savior. And so they're going to sing a song and I just want to, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to stay here. I want to invite anyone in this room 
Maybe you came in here and you didn't even know God would speak to you, and he did. Maybe you have some questions. I'll be here to answer that. Maybe if you need prayer, I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. If you don't want to come up here, I'll go in the prayer room. Or you can go in the prayer room. That's why we created that space, so you could go and be alone with God and pray. And if you are in this room and you have never been baptized, baptism is new. It's a, it's a symbol of new life in Jesus. That you go under that water, you are being buried with Jesus in His death. And when you come out, you are being raised to resurrection life. You are a brand new person, forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so if you've never believed in Jesus and and put your faith through baptism, I want to invite you to come do that. I would love to baptize you. What a testimony that would be. So they're going to sing this song. I'm going to be here. And then after that, I'll close this out in prayer. And the invitation will still stand. If you're a guest here, I would love to meet you just out of those doors. I have a gift for you.